0: The people who are able and willing to accept that, you know, this is the way, stop looking for shortcuts. In fact, the time that you spend looking for shortcuts, in that much time and effort, you will actually get through. If you understand those things, it becomes easier to do hard things. Everybody, trust me, even if you think you're lazy, you think you're a procrastinator, you think like, you know, good for nothing. Those are are stories that we tell ourselves. That is not true. And people can build habits. Find your why. Like, why did I do the six months back? If that reason was valid, then why is it not valid now? There is nobody in the world who has built a habit who has been consistent all the time. 100%. Not possible. Stuff happens. But we can totally restart. You can sustain habits indefinitely. Keep restarting. Think of focus as a sprint, not like as a day-long marathon. The idea of productivity has to be Achieving, getting to maximum value in a day without killing yourself, without feeling frustrated.
1: From Wine Studio, you are listening to The Inspiring Talk, a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business, and career to the next level. One of the biggest determinant of our success is our habits. Whatever stays that we are in our life, we are the byproduct of our habits. And if we have the habits that really help us get closer to our goals, we are likely to succeed. And if we don't have those, then we are going to struggle. And this is not something new. So in this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast, I thought let's dive deep into this topic of habit. Why is it so difficult for us to cultivate new habits? And even if we pick up some new habits, why is it difficult for us to sustain? What exactly goes behind the scenes of building and sustaining great habits that will lead to success? And also we talk about productivity and how can we really create a distraction-free environment? And we also talk about social media distraction and how can we go about social media detox and really get into the flow state where we are absorbed in the work that we're doing so that we can get the results and hit the milestones that we've been looking for. To help us understand this, I have invited Rajan Singh. Rajan is the founder of the company Habit Strong, where he help people cultivate new habits and sustain them for the longer period of time with different programs and workshops. He is an ex-IPS officer who have been to Wharton to study business, also worked as consultant for a lot of businesses in the past. And Rajan has a very deep understanding of habit discipline, social media detox, and so on and so forth. So we really dive into the root of this and uh, you will find some of profound insights in making long lasting change in your habits. So if you're someone who's looking at making change in your day-to-day habits and want to bring in more discipline in your life, and if you're someone who feel like, hey, you know what, my new year resolution is already all over the place, this is the episode that you need to get back on track because you will learn a ton. Let's get started. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Vijay. Great to be here. It's such a great pleasure in having you here and uh, particularly almost at the end of January because this is the time when the New Year resolution that a lot of people set for themselves. This is the year where I'm going to kill. This is the year where I'm going (laughs) to hit gym every single morning. This is the year where I'm going to make all the money that I've ever wanted by following the habits that I want to. And uh, by the time we reach the end of January, half of... Those resolutions, people, you know, don't even remember. <laughs> Why do you think resolutions fail? I think the answer is, uh, in some sense, pretty straightforward. The
0: resolutions fail because the person who made the resolution is not the same person who's executing the resolution. In some sense, so think of it like when do you make the resolution? So this would be you're thinking about it maybe the last week of December, and the year before has probably not been that great, and you. You're looking for a fresh start. And when we are looking for a fresh start, when you see like, okay, an, everything's going to be reset, it's a new life for me in some sense, that creates a lot of positivity. So in some sense, that person, your version, like version 2022, just just to give a name, that version of yourself is feeling very optimistic. It is energized. It is feeling unburdened by all the stuff that went badly in, in his or her life in the last year, last couple of years. So. At that point, when you're feeling so good, you're feeling so positive, everything looks easy. Everything looks doable. And you want to aim big, which is the right thing to do. But come 30th January now, the first month has gone. Now, those things are no longer there. The novelty of the new year is gone. It's like when you think about, okay, I'm going to go on a drive in Goa. Just as an example, like I'll go on a drive. There'll be beach on one side. It'll be so beautiful. And that's it's wonderful to have that picture. But when you start driving, then you'll see, oh, there's a cow standing in the road and the road is bumpy and there's a traffic stop and traffic jam. And the question is, can you maintain that mindset in the midst of the traffic jam and all the other problems? The same thing here. So when real life hits, it is different from the abstraction that you had built. And the the person, now you are your version 2023 and you're facing all these problems. And when you face those problems, what happens when something doesn't go well, your motivation stops dipping. So the challenge is the guy who or the person who made the resolution was very motivated and the person who's executing is like the regular person. And yet we want this new, new person, this 2023 version to execute what 2022 thought of and imagined. It is not impossible. It's of course doable, but this is the fundamental reason why we make resolutions and quite often, not always, but quite often we fail And then we try again and again and again. Nothing wrong with it, but this is, this is why we can't, we can't just learn from last year and change it because fundamentally there is a, there's a psychology involved and the psychology of the person executing is not the same
1: as psychology of the person who made the resolution. Does that mean relying on motivation to drive change? That's where the problem lies. Are you trying to say that, Hey, if you rely on your motivation, then making change on a longer run is not sustainable. It's a wonderful question, but I think to do justice, I would like to give a more nuanced answer.
0: So when we think about motivation, motivation is what makes us do something. So if we approach motivation, if we approach the word motivation very narrowly, motivation is the inner desire inside us to do something. Without motivation, nothing happens. So if somebody says, okay, you know what, you should be able to do stuff, but you don't need motivation. Well, if we take that statement very technically, it's like saying, you know, your car can go 100 kilometers, but it needs no gasoline. So no, that's not true. But there is a version of motivation which comes from inside us. It comes from our deepest desires and goals and ambitions. So like Vijay, you are now sitting and recording this podcast with me and, and you do these things. You have to do a lot of work. And yes, there will be moments when you do a podcast or you put something out and people appreciate and you get some good feedback. That feels good. But then the process that leads to it, that process is, it's, it's hard. It, it can be hard quite often. So then, the thing is that you are not driven like when you are prepared reach, reaching out to people to come for the podcast, setting up the technology, thinking about what questions to ask. When you're doing all those things, you have motivation, but it is coming from inside. It is your deep desire. On the other hand, on the other hand, if somebody came and gave a pep talk, Vijay, you know what? You can do it. Come on, right? This is the great thing. You are meant for this. Whatever. Now you're saying you're you feel like you are flying, and that guy is gone. And two days later, you find, oh, the camera is not working. This is not happening. You spoke to some three people. They did not respond to emails. Now, that motivation, it was like a shot of, like somebody gave you a shot of steroid or some you know, some injection, which, is, which made you feel good. But that goes away very quickly. So if you depend upon external motivation, that motivation is not going to stay because that's the nature of life. Life will hit you. The traffic jam will hit you. The cows on the road will hit your smooth drive. And in real life, a lot of stuff will happen. But when you have the inner desire, that's when people persevere. And they persevere through odds which, are, which seem insurmountable. When people do ultra marathons, they run like 100 miles. How do they do that? Well, not because they watched a video of another ultra marathoner, no. Because there's something inside which says, don't stop, keep going. So the answer to your question is, do you need motivation? Absolutely, you need motivation. But the question is, what's the source? Where does that motivation come from? And that motivation can only come from one place. There is no second place. And that one place is inside you, the desires inside you, the goals inside you. And in your mind, you have to also know at the gut level, not intellectually, that if I need to hit this goal, there is no other way but to go through the slog, through the grind. If somebody feels like, okay, there is a shortcut. In fact, maybe it's a question or you could be asking this question next is, okay, a lot of people have goals, but why are they still not motivated? First of all, maybe they don't want the goals badly enough, which is often the case. So goals also are like, oh, somebody said that would be nice. No, that is that nice or are you willing to die for it? And I, I, I don't mean die literally, but coming no. close, like, are you willing you to want push yourself to a point where it's no longer pleasant? It's actually very, very hard, but will you still do that? So one is wanting that goal that badly. And second, knowing that there is no other way, there is no shortcut quite often. People would say, oh, I want this, but when I sit and read the book or when I try to learn this new skill, I don't feel like doing it. Well, the question is then, did you want it badly enough or did you think there is another way? Maybe there is, a, there is something which is less tedious, which is, like, which is less hard. And very often, there is no way out. The people who are able and willing to accept that, you know, this is the way, stop looking for shortcuts. In fact, the time that you spend looking for shortcuts, In that much time and effort, you will actually get through. If you understand those things, it becomes easier to do hard things. So, yes, you need motivation, but you need a different kind of motivation. And quite often, we
1: don't have that kind of motivation. And that is why these resolutions fail. Going back to what you said, right? There was this previous version of you that did whatever you did last year. And then you are looking back at your life and saying that, okay, this year, I'm going to make change in my life. I'm going to accomplish all these things. These are the things that I want to do. Right. And do you think that for this person to now become a new person, you know, in this year, I'm not going to be the same person that I was last year. There is a change that you need on your day to day habits. Right. So why is it difficult for a lot of us to develop new habits? Habit building is both very, very
0: effective, but is also very hard. In fact, it wasn't hard, then we could all build habits very quickly and then we would not be having this discussion in the first place. Now, why is habit building hard? So habit building is hard fundamentally because our brain, it is wired in certain behavior patterns. And we have learned that certain activities are pleasurable or they are rewarding. And the more rewarding they are, and the more often we do those rewarding things, the deeper that algorithm sort of gets wired in. So when the algorithm is so deeply hardwired, changing it is not going to be easy. So quite often what we're doing is the, major uh, one thing which, which we sort of overlook is, people say, okay, I want to build a habit in 21 days or some random number like that. My flip question is, okay, let's take an example of breaking a habit. That it'll be easier to explain. You want to break the habit of, let's say, checking your smartphone every now and then, or any other habits of those sort, binging on Netflix or whatever. Now, some of these habits you might have built over years. Think of it like it's, it's, it's not a physical groove, but imagine that there is a, there's a piece of stone and now you take a chisel and you're, you're creating a groove and you do it once and twice and thrice. You're doing it for years. That groove is very deep. And when you want to change it, We think we expect or we want it to be easy, we want it to be quick, it will not be quick because it took that much time to wire it in. And one more thing is when a habit is built, when those, so to say the groove is created, which is essentially in in neuroscience, that would be certain wiring of neurons happens in a different manner, in a certain manner, that wiring doesn't go away. So it's like that groove doesn't go away. What happens is you build alternative grooves, you build alternative neural circuitry. And that alternative circuitry has to be strong enough that your mind will bypass the old habit and then go to the new one. So all that is going to take time. So when people build habits, the reason they, there are many, many reasons. In fact, I could talk about this for an hour. (laughs) Uh, There are many reasons we struggle. First is that you have to be clear as to why you want to build that habit. It looks cool, not good enough. It's a good thing for me. Well, it's a good starting point, but not enough. You come to a point where you say, you know what? This is something which I damn well I need in my life. I cannot, I have to change. In fact, you would have noticed a lot of people when they go through a big change in their life, it happens when they hit rock bottom. Because then they, they tell themselves, no no matter how I feel like, this is not acceptable. So having that strong conviction that this is not acceptable, it has to change, that's a starting point. It goes back to, again, our previous, uh, the point I mentioned about goal, wanting your goal really badly. So why do you want to build that habit when that why is very, very strong, that's a good starting point. Next is, again, I'm not getting too much into habit formation. If you have questions on that, I can obviously dive deep into it. But fundamentally, to build a habit, what should happen is there has to be a trigger, something which reminds you to take an action. And then you take an action. And if that action feels rewarding, and this is the key, if that action feels rewarding, next time you would want to do it more. And if you do it again and again and again, our brain is a very, it's a, it's a sort of, efficiency-seeking machine, it wants to optimize everything. So, so just to give an example, let's say you get up every morning and uh, you decide, you think, okay, what do I have for breakfast? Now you say, okay, let me have some oatmeal and banana. Let's, say, let's assume that's your meal every day. Now you have bananas and oatmeal and uh, breakfast is done. Next day you wake up again. Okay, what do I have for breakfast? And again, okay, let me have oatmeal. And then you keep repeating it. And then it's not efficient. Why do you have to ask that question and think through it? So why not just make it automatic? Like you wake up and, you know, immediately your mind wants to go and have that oatmeal. This is exactly what habit is. So habit is essentially our mind's ability to learn from past experience, look at what was rewarding, and then make that process automatic. That is habit. So there was a trigger. Trigger could be, let's say I'm sitting at work and getting bored. And then I feel like, you know, I need to escape this boredom. So I check my Instagram and I see like some photo. I see some update. It feels a little mildly rewarding. It feels like something novel. So you have trigger, you took an action, it felt rewarding, Same. so your brain is learning. So don't think of habit as, it's nothing different from learning. Our brain is learning from the past to make the future better. But the problem is, the better as our brain defines is not the better as we today define as conscious human beings. So having an ice cream, from the brain's point of view, from a the, from the point of view of evolution, having an ice cream is a fantastic thing. Because our ancestors, they lived in a calorie-deprived environment, but we do not. So our brain is just trying to learn and be smart about it. But unfortunately, because we no longer live in those times, now we live in these brick-and-mortar buildings. Now we have jobs, we need to get promotions, we want to make money, we want to do a lot of stuff. The ground has changed, but our hardware is still what it was. For the most part, it's still what it was 100,000 years back. And therefore, this mismatch and habit formation is now a challenge because now we want to build habit which don't feel rewarding in the moment. Having sugar feels rewarding because evolution made sure that the guy who does not like sugar, that gene did not propagate. So let's say there was a guy, there was one variant in gene pool, which uh, where people did not love sugar. They don't eat sugar, so they don't have enough calories and they die out. The ones who like sugar, they are the ones who, who sort of proliferated. So here we are with all our habits, which make sense in in terms of evolution. Now, where I'm going with that is today we want to build habits like go to gym, go to gym and do your workout or go for a run. Those things they do not have instant gratification. So you, you set a trigger, you set an alarm at six o'clock, okay, reminds you, okay, take take that action. You get up and start walking or start lifting weights, and it feels awful. Your muscles hurt, your joints hurt, and you're feeling sleepy and you everything in your body is screaming, no, no, don't do this. And that is the crux of the problem. How do we build habits which are not rewarding? Because because our brain is meant to to build habits which are rewarding. So we need to find some, I don't like the word hacks, but I'm gonna use it here. We need to find some hacks to overcome that. And there are a couple of them. So as an example, first thing is, If your inner desire is so strong, so to give you my personal example, when I started working out regularly and building the sort of the fitness habit, if you want to call it, it was after a decade of completely ignoring my health. And I paid a very heavy price. I talked about rock bottom. I actually had hit rock bottom. There was, I could not take it anymore. So when the desire to like change your life is so strong, that muscular pain doesn't feel anything. You know, you have to push yourself, you're sweating. All that is, it becomes insignificant because something else is there that you want so much, you want it so badly. So that could be part of the answer. Chase the right things for you. Yes, chase the things that you really, really, really want. That is one way a lot of people who have built good habits, they have been driven by that. Second thing which can help is, let's say if you have a community of people. So while there are a lot of people who don't like gyms, but one thing good about gyms is that when you go, especially if you go with friends, You know, the people around you, they talk to you, you see how much are they lifting? How how much is my bench press? So all that gives a vibe. And some days, even if you're not motivated, if you're like, oh yeah, that that friend is coming, let's show up there, right? So having a group of people can be enormously empowering. So now what you've done is you've taken experience, which is per se not very- Rewarding. Lifting, yeah, lifting, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Lifting weight is not super rewarding, but lifting weight with a friend- That feels rewarding. So it's like, you know, put some sugar in in something which is bitter and the combination looks not too bad, right? So having a community can be a big deal. Third could be some, you feel rewarded when there's a sense of small achievement. So if you have, let's say, a habit tracker and every time you do something, you put a tick mark. So that tick Mm -hmm. mark or that moving something to done, maybe if you're tracking it vertically using some kind of cards. So some action that you take, which tells yourself, oh, you know what? I got this today. Sense of achievement. In fact, we get dopamine release, which dopamine is our, our motivation chemical. We think that dopamine release comes only from pleasure. That's not true. It comes from two things, pleasure and achievement, sense of achievement. True. So in mm-hmm. fact, what you do in professional life, you go through a lot of stuff, not because of pleasure, because of the sense of achievement. That also mm-hmm. feels equally good. People who climb mountains, people who push themselves to like run for 26 miles, not, not pleasure achievement right? so both can help so you need to find a way to, to generate something as long as you find some combination of these things any combination thereof which makes you do this thing long enough after that what happens is that activity itself it starts feeling rewarding so now i don't go to gym because it's good for me i don't go it just feels good even if there is a the aches are there pains are there but in your mind you can recreate okay when i'm done when I'm done after one and a half hours, I will feel very different. I'll, this whole, it's a different experience. So every habit, whether it is habit of working out, running, uh, reading, you name it, all those things, you have to find a way where you go through up, go uphill. And then once a downhill starts, downhill is what I'm what I'm calling the downhill is, when the activity in and of itself starts feeling, starts being rewarding. At that point, the habit is there with you forever. Well,
1: there also there can be slippages, but now it becomes much easier. So that's how, that's how you build habits. And is there a, you know, like you mentioned earlier, 21 days and you hear like, you know, it takes this many number of days for you to build habit. Is there like a, when you do, you said, right, the downhill, Mm -hmm. is there a number of days that when that downhill starts for most of the people or is it very individualistic in nature? Sadly, there is no, no such number. And I'll explain why that is
0: the case. So how quickly you start the downhill journey, so to say, um, or how quickly the habits become self sustained, uh, or they are sort of on autopilot, it is a function of primarily how rewarding is that activity. So, let us say if somebody, unfortunately, someone starts taking some drugs. Now, these drugs are designed, many of them are designed to give you like a Massive dopamine spike. In fact, dopamine spike is such a, sort of smash your system. You'll actually destroy dopamine receptors with cocaine and all that, right? So when your dopamine spike is very, very high, then just a few repetitions is enough. In fact, there are people, there are a subset of people who can get addicted with just one drug, not everybody, but there are, there are some people. On the other hand, things which are less rewarding, you have to repeat it more and more and more. Now, how much time does it take? It varies. there are studies saying some habits, you can go from 20, 25 days, you can go right up to 300 days. Some people will say, okay, median is like 150, 200. So I don't want to give a number. All I want to say is that it varies, but if you're looking for hope, I can give you some hope here. It is possible for everyone to build those habits and it gets easier. The start is the hardest. The beginning portion is is very, very hard. After some time, it will get into some kind of autopilot, it'll become easier, but even when it's easier, it's still not zero effort, it still requires some maintenance. So some maintenance effort will be required, but you can build habits. And one more thing, uh, which I want to highlight here is, a lot of people, when they try to build a habit and they observe some fluctuation that few days they were consistent, then something did not go right, they immediately say in their mind, "Oh, Oh. I made a big blunder. I'm the kind of person who can never do it. Maybe the guys who build habit, they are somebody special. I'm like not that person, I cannot do it. That is wrong. That's completely wrong. There is, well, there might be like some, maybe one in 10,000, there might be some guy who's like so determined that they can do everything without effort. But practically for most of us, things are hard. It takes time. So it's about process. It's about the mindset, it's about your goal. It is not about being that special Superman person because that Superman person for the most part does not exist. So the good news is everybody, trust me, even if you think you're lazy, you think you're a procrastinator, you think like you know, good for nothing. Those are are stories that we tell ourselves. That is not true and people can
1: build habits. So Rajan, I was super regular with my workout and I hit the gym for six months and then I went on this vacation for 15 days and once I came back, then I just, you know, the habit of going back to gym or meditation or whatever that was. Like I was meditating for a hundred days. And after that, uh, you know, I went for someone's wedding for a week for my cousins, whatever. And then I came back and then I just failed in that. Like I was not able to pick up on that habit, even after doing for so long. Why do we relapse even after so long, uh, doing things for so long? Yeah.
0: yeah. So this is uh, probably the most common experience, I would say nearly universal experience of people who end up not building a habit. This is like the the standard pattern. So let's uh, deconstruct and understand why this happens. So there are a couple of factors here at play. So Vijay, when you first built the habit of working out in the gym, there must have been something in your mind at that time, something that was driving you. Maybe it was desire to be fit. Maybe they was, they could have been okay. A doctor said something. Hey, you need to do something, or you saw somebody and you got motivated. Whatever it was, there was something which was driving you. So there was a clear why, and that why pushed you into into gymming. And over the six months, I'm pretty sure it got easier. The routine got set. Your body would sort of reflexively say, "Okay, cello, let's let's go to gym today." And uh, when you go, the routine also you don't you know exactly what to do. You don't like the first week. You kind of figure out, okay, what do I lift when your posture is not right? All those things, you figure all that out. So you start feeling good. Now, when you have a break, there are, I would say two or three factors which come in the way. First is that thing that drove you at that time, six months back, that craving or that strong desire right now may not be there, or it may have weakened that immediate cause. So let's say somebody is just hypothetical. Somebody went to a doctor and doctor says, you know what? You don't fix this and you're going to have a heart attack. Now that thing is fresh in that person's mind and he or she will then do whatever is required, hopefully, to get back on track. But six months, one year later, that doctor's warning, it doesn't sound as dire. Like, okay, I've been there, I'm doing fine. Maybe I've lost some weight, I'm feeling fitter. So the why may have weakened. That could be one part of the reason. But there are two other, I would say, big reasons. The second one is that when you have a break from a routine, in our mind, the story that we tell ourselves is that, oh, I was doing this so well, and now once again, one more time I broke this, I'm good for nothing, uh, building habit is beyond me. And we sort of validate, we tell ourselves that I have failed, it. I cannot succeed at that. So that story that, we ha- that was sort of in our mind, but it was dormant, it comes up that you ca- I'm a failure, or I cannot build a habit. And when we, we say, okay, you know what, one more data point. So I was right, I cannot do it. So that, if you have that negative self-perception, it weakens you. It, it, so when you want to show up at gym, what do you need? You need that internal motivation. So instead of a positive motivation from inside, you're getting this negative thing that, okay, I cannot do it. So this is completely how we frame it. So if you frame it like a failure, it will prevent you from going and doing that thing. And then that feeling gets reinforced. And then you you just prove prove yourself right. The second thing which may happen is, now let's say if you wanted to go back to gym and restart. Now in those six months, you would have built a certain amount of, of strength, certain endurance, certain capacity. Yeah. So you are doing, let's say bench press with certain kilos. You're doing front raise and back raise and all those exercises with, at a certain level. You're doing maybe like 30 push push-ups. Now, when you go back, you can't do 30 push push-ups anymore. You can do probably like 20 and it feels terrible. So you push yourself and then again, the same feeling like, oh man, I've gone down, I've lost it. I've, it's almost like I had built this such a beautiful picture. You know, when you see those kids and they, they go to the beach and they build those sandcastle. And then it's like, okay, I built this beautiful castle and somebody just came and like, you know, smashed it. And you're, you feel terrible. And the way to counteract that is, you know, just work back on those, those three things. So one is find your why. Like, why did I do the six months back? If that reason was valid, then why is it not valid now? That's number one. Number two is when you go off track, in your mind, tell yourself, this is, I'm just off track. Okay, 10 days, I didn't do it. So what? Start on day 11. I did not do it for three weeks. So what? Start on week four, restart as many times as you have to, not once, not twice. You can do it 300 times. Who is sitting and counting? Nobody. You are the one who's counting. So you're saying it's okay to fail. Absolutely. In fact, here's what I'll say. There is nobody in the world who has built a habit, who has been consistent all the time. 100%, not possible. Life happens, sickness happens, something happens. Someday, you know, maybe you're, you're not feeling well. Maybe your boss said something. You got really annoyed. Stuff happens, but we can totally restart. Now, I'm not super fond of this "be kind to yourself" phrase because it often gets misused as a means to, like, you know, just take it easy or don't do stuff. But, but in this context, I think that's that's absolutely the right thing. Like, just restart one more time, ten more times, thousand more times. Who cares? That is the only way. I'm not saying that is a way. I'm saying that is the only way you can sustain habits indefinitely. Keep restarting. The last thing is like uh, I mentioned, when you restart, you may not restart where you left off naturally. Your strength may have declined. You can't do 30 push-ups, do 20, can't do 20, do 10, can't do 10, do five, do whatever you can. Start from where you are and then build it up and you'll go back very, very quickly. So if you can handle these three things, think about your why, Uh, second is restart, and third is restart as you are where you are as opposed to looking for some ideal starting point or where you left off. I think you can build habits, so it's not it's not that sustaining habits is hard, it is that we are thinking about it the wrong way. Change your thinking and this usually this is this does it doesn't work this way, but in this case, it's actually
1: true. Change your thinking, it'll change your behavior, and that'll change your life. Lazen, you mentioned about dopamine having such a big role in sustaining the habit, right when you get feel good about doing the habit so for the time, and I have this interesting thought that's just crossed my mind, which is, hey, here I am looking at building a habit which not necessarily give me the dopamine spike that I will get by going on Instagram or doing or maybe ordering some comfort food or whatever, right? right. Having sweet right. Or whatever. However, let's say if I'm trying to build a habit of meditation, yep. then do you think in the process, like again, when you are meditating, I think it's the dopamine that you'll get is like very low, right? You won't get that spike that we're talking about, right? While I'm building this habit, do you think using some external rewards and in incentive to, hey, you know, I did meditation for the for a week in a row and here's my reward and then use those rewards as a dopamine kind of, you know, to, till the time it becomes habitual and I really, you know, get in the flow. Do you think that that works or do you think?
0: Oh, yeah. As long as the reward itself is not inconsistent with the activity, right? You say, okay, I'll meditate for 20 minutes. And my reward is I can watch Netflix for two hours. And that's, (laughs) it sort of, the reward itself, you know, defeats the purpose of of meditation because the idea of meditation was to build, to some extent, build single-pointed concentration, build sense of calm and control. So you don't want to throw it away. But yeah, some other, an appropriate reward, absolutely, it's very, very effective. The other things you could try which are not in the category of reward, like let's say, uh, which are very simple. Let's say you have a friend of yours who, and both of you want to build the habit of meditation. Just decide, okay, you know what? Let's come on Zoom every day. Seven thirty. All of we both meet, and we'll do it for uh, for let's let's do it for one month. Now, once you have committed, it's not just about meditation anymore. It's about letting down your friend, which you don't want to do. So there are Mm. many of these things that you can try, and as long as they get you to a point where now when you meditate, your mind actually starts going calm, you start feeling good. That sense of bliss might be an overstatement, but you sometimes do feel that. All those things will make it very attractive. I'm pretty sure all of these habits they will become Mm self-sustaining once you actually want them. You want Mm -hmm. to do it, not because it's good for you, not because something they just, they do feel rewarding.
1: And meditation certainly will feel rewarding at some point. Mm. And also there's the opposite of it, right? The thought that, hey, you know what, if you're looking at having rewards and incentives for doing good habits, have those in place. And also if you're not able to do like work on the habits that you said that you're going to build, have the punishment in place as well. Do you sort of believe that works as well? Like, Hey, you know, for example, the punishment could be as simple as, okay, if you do not meditate, like if you miss three days of meditation in a row in winter, just go and take cold shower and no <laughs> hot water for you. Like, do you think that kind of stuff work? Like being having those kind of punishments in place? I think it might work. It, it probably will as long as the. Punishment, it doesn't
0: break your spirit or it doesn't weaken your, your energy, it doesn't weaken uh, your sense of self. So let's say as an example, if there's a meditation teacher who's making kids you know, do meditation and when they don't like, he goes and gives them a slap or makes them stand outside or humiliates them. That is a punishment. But that punishment, it weakens their sense of self. It doesn't strengthen them. So that punishment will not work. On the other hand, when you choose yourself, okay, you know what? If I don't do this, then I don't get to get a hot shower one day. It's your choice. That might totally work. And and in these cases, my simple guideline is, look, none of these are, these are not mathematical problems which you have to solve analytically. If you're not sure, try it out and see for yourself. So short answer is,
1: what he said is, will it work? Yes, absolutely. It quite quite likely work. So Rajan, for this episode, I asked people on Instagram, That, hey, I'm getting Rajan on the podcast and what are the questions that you want to ask? And on these lines, we have Aparna, who goes by Aparna4409 on Instagram, says that, (laughs) how do I break the chain of bad habits? Mm -hmm. To some extent, we have covered, but if there's anything else that you'd like to add on the chain of bad habits. Right. Based
0: on my own, own observation in my life, what I've found is that habits come and go often not alone, but as a group. So it's like a Hmm. flock of birds coming in or flock of birds leaving your life. So if you form one good habit, there's again, not a guarantee or not saying always happens. It is quite likely that one good habit will motivate you to build another good habit. So just to give one example, let's say if I go for like a long run and when I come back and I feel really good, I, I feel very motivated. That is a day when I don't feel like even if there is some snack on the table or there's something, I will not go and pop it into my mouth. I'll feel actually more disciplined. Nobody has told me, but you feel like today, okay, I'm, I'm victorious. I don't want to let that go. So yeah. good habits will sustain and help you build other good habits. On the other hand, unfortunately, it works other way around as well. You build one habit, what does, so let's say you go and binge watch Netflix for six hours. What happens after that? For most people, you feel terrible. It's like, mm. it's a disgusting feeling. And that when you feel that bad, now you want to escape that bad feeling. And one way to do that is go and have some ice cream. (laughs) And you feel even worse and then something else. So essentially, all these bad habits can sort of support each other or they can cause you to build other bad habits. So now, in Aparna's question, she says that she probably has a string of bad habits. So just think of it this way like they're all probably sustaining each other. And Mm -hmm. one good way to break that is to break or build one good habit, right? So there are habits that are called keystone habits. Keystone habit is a habit, which if you build in your life, it will motivate you to build other habits. What are some examples? Simple example, like regular working out. Such so a simple thing. If you start working out regularly, if you start, you go to gym three, four days a week, go run two, three days a week. So five to six days a week, you are like doing some morning intense exercise. Do that for a couple of months, see what happens. A lot of people who are smoking, will actually not have a desire to smoke anymore or, they, or their craving will go down. Because one thing is, of course, when you run, you feel like you need lung capacity and then your mind says, you know what, that thing, that shitty thing that you're having, like stop having that. You will automatically start eating healthier. I'm not saying you'll go like totally clean, but you may still have junk food, but you will have more sense of control. So when there is one habit which brings in the sense of positivity, that positivity then now motivates you to say, you know what, let me do that one more thing and then one thing. So. Working out is a great uh, keystone habit. Meditation is again a wonderful keystone habit. Reading something like building the habit of reading for an hour every day, reading things which are meaningful to you, that can be a keystone habit. So any habit which creates this sense of positivity, sense of achievement, sense that, you know what, my life is making progress. I am moving forward. So my advice to Aparna is maybe take an inventory of all the things that you want to change. Don't try to change everything in one go. Pick one thing or pick a fresh new habit and you start building. And from there, a month, two months later, try to break the next one. And gradually, you'll be able to build a new life. And if you ask me specifically what, I'm a big morning routine fanatic. Not because it sounds cool or it's a good theory. No, I have found it to be personally in my own life. I found it to be incredibly valuable. So I would say if every morning you can start doing some exercise, that's a good start or meditation or both. Or pick one thing and start doing that. I think that will that'll be the start, and hopefully it'll be a domino effect,
1: and other things will change. So, do you think the idea of habit stacking, right? Like you said, I came back from workout and I'm feeling high in energy, and maybe I'll have a good, healthy ball of breakfast. So right. I avoided eating, you know, the breakfast that wasn't good for me, and now that I had that and that that's feeling good. Then I said, okay, let me try and work on the project that I've been delaying for a while. while, And then let let me pick that up for another 60 minutes. And I work on that. And then, oh, boom. Now then, you know, I have done that. And then do you think like habit stacking is something that really works or are there any tips on habit stacking that you'd like to share for the people who are looking at building, you know, habits? So the classic definition of habit stacking is that you have an existing
0: habit and you stack a new habit that you want to build on top of it. So the existing habit serves as a trigger to build a new habit. So just as an example, if you want to build the habit of, say, morning meditation, and you already have the habit of, let's say you have morning coffee, which many people do, morning coffee or tea. So you say, okay, I will have my coffee right after my meditation. That's a decision. So now, because your mind is pushing you to say, you know what, have coffee. You're like, okay, yeah, I want to, but then let me get my meditation done. Because now, so you're sort of putting this in the path of Mm. your coffee. Or alternatively, like every time I have my breakfast, after that, for half an hour, for one hour, I want to work on my number one priority task without any distraction. Another habit you could build. So every day, I finish my breakfast, one hour of focus. Now, you could vary this, obviously. So habit stacking certainly works. Just one thing I want to caution is all these techniques, they are effective, they work, but none of them are magic, okay? So you still have to have that mental resolve. You have to want that goal. You want to, you want to have that change. Mm-hmm. They help you bring about that change. So you know how to go about it. It's like this, Vijay. Uh, I can show you a road or you can show me a road and say, this is the road, go walk. But then mm-hmm. I still have to walk. The yeah. road is not the answer, road is the path. So a lot of times what happens is we just, we want more and more roads. You want to build a habit, we'll download a PDF, we'll go and watch this video, we'll do this. Yeah, sure. I now know about many, many roads, but who will walk? I have to walk. You have to walk.
1: That's the thing. So Rajan shifting a bit of gears here, and you have been hitting a lot of milestones in your life, right? Right from going to IIT and then, you know, serving as IPS and then going to, you know, business school, doing all of all of that, right? So what is the thing that you learned about discipline in all these years of, you know, doing a lot of different things and now building habits strong around discipline? The idea of discipline is fairly straightforward, which is um,
0: overruling our innate desire to do things that are instantly gratifying. So our natural response as human beings is to do stuff which gives me instant pleasure. Why? Because evolutionarily that made sense. So evolution made sure that whatever improved the odds of your survival, it made those things feel rewarding. This is not a defect. This is not a bug. This is a feature. There was was immense value to this. But unfortunately, like in 2000 years, uh, we have become civilized and now things have changed. And now we no longer, most people are not dying because they don't have enough calories. So things have changed completely. And that is what is creating the problem. Now, The reason we need discipline, the reason my great, 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 great grandfather did not need discipline is because his biology was wired for survival, right? But my biology is wired for survival in that era, but the era has changed. So now I have to tell myself, you know what, skip that ice cream, eat something healthy, go for a run. You want to watch Instagram or you want to spend time there? Okay, but you know what? Not right now. Skip it. Like you have some, you have an exam coming up or there's something that you wanted to do and just go and do that. So all these things which are now valuable, they are unfortunately not instantly gratifying. Not all of them, but most of them. When they are not instantly gratifying, now we, we have to have that ability, how we get this different thing, but we have to have the ability to say, I will not do X, which is rewarding. I will do Y, which is possibly non-rewarding, but it is rewarding long term. So discipline is not about giving up good stuff. Discipline is about giving up stuff which feels good right now to do things that will give you value down the line. Discipline is the ability to do what you ought to do, not what you want to do or what you feel like doing. So the ability to override your feelings is what is fundamentally discipline. Now, where has it helped me? Uh, well, a lot of times what happened was which I'll be honest, I did not need a lot of discipline because sometimes this is what happens. the end outcome is craving for that is so strong that it will pull you through everything. I genuinely do not feel I ever well sometimes in building habits running those kind of things, maybe you might have to, but for let's say clearing some important exam or building a new career or qualifying for some some other career option for those things. I wanted the outcome so badly that it happened. I did not have to struggle to find motivation. When I wrote the IIT entrance, coming from a family where we didn't have any money, we didn't have any wealth, that was the only way out. What else would you do? Same thing when I wanted to join the civil services, I really wanted that job. And I wanted it like very, 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 very badly. So a lot of times when you want the outcome badly, it ensures that everything else falls in line, but in day to day stuff. Like when you're building good habits, fitness, et cetera, et cetera, there you may need more self-discipline. And what I've observed is that when you, when you get a few things in your life right, you get the conviction that, you know what, you, this is doable. I can do this. That self-confidence goes up. And when your self-confidence is higher, then you, you push for things. You don't, don't accept defeat very easily. So I have this, due to training or experience or whatever, I don't know, but I have this thing of not giving up. I don't give up on anything which is not mm. always a good thing, by the way. It may sound like a cool thing, sometimes it can actually misfire because there are genuine mm. reasons when you should stop, retros, introspect, and sometimes maybe even like stop doing or change directions. But I, <laughs> I have to be mindful on that side. You know, there used to be these stories of, this is, Japanese used to be very, very fanatic. I mean, they probably still are, I'm not sure. So in World War, like you would find that World War got over and there were these holdouts, they used to be called, the guys who would keep fighting. In fact, there were guys who fought for decades There's one guy hiding in the forest. Anybody comes, he'll shoot them because they have not received the order to surrender. They will not surrender. This has happened in not one. This has happened in multiple cases. Sounds very weird, but unfortunately, those people, actually, they kill people because they came and say, hey, you know what? The war is over. Not now. It's over like 20 years back. Please come down. And the guys, no. (laughs) I don't have orders. They keep fighting. Now, you should not go that far, right? But certain amount of perseverance is required. And I think uh, that is something which most cases comes quite naturally to me. So none of these things necessarily are about discipline as much as they are about wanting things and wanting things badly enough.
1: Tarazan, the other thing that I want to talk about is productivity, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of the things that you talk a lot about is this close state. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing a lot in our conversation is having this innate Desire, deep desire to get the outcome for you to build the habit. Once you want it so bad, then everything that comes in between, you are ready to go through it, right? Which takes me back to the fact that, Hey, you know what? That means you need to, even before you think of building a habit, you go and ask yourself, like, what am I doing? You know, do that reflection on your life and probably find something that you are going to really, really enjoy or really, really Want in your life. If you are saying that I'm not able to build uh, this really, you know, this habit, likely that the desire is not as strong or the reason or the why, like you said, is not as strong, right? And to some extent, similar with the discipline, building discipline as well, right? So if I want it so bad, then there's no reason why I would not show up on a daily basis to work on that task, right? So what about productivity? Now, mm-hmm. if I'm looking at becoming productive and you talk and share a lot about flow state as well, mm-hmm. maybe you can share like what flow state is and also share then how really one gets there. And let's also keep in mind that not everyone who's listening right now probably are doing things that necessarily they absolutely love or have a strong desire to do, right? Because life throws situation at us. Of
0: course, of course. All right. So the idea of flow came in 70s, 80s and uh, came from field of psychology. I'll not get, I'll not talk too much about the theory behind it. The idea is that sometimes our mind gets so absorbed in the task at hand that our cognitive capacity is completely allocated to the task. Nothing is left to observe anything else going on. And we lose track of everything else. We lose track of even passage of time. And that state of complete absorption, if I may call a meditative absorption in your task, is, that is what is called a flow state. Now, flow state obviously has been glorified. In fact, it's a very worthy goal. Mm-hmm. How do you get into flow state? The idea of flow primarily came from this guy. He was a professor at the University of Chicago. His name was Mihai Mihai, Hungarian-American scientist. And uh, he was trying to answer a very, very simple, but very interesting question, which is, what makes people happy? And the way he answered the question was not theorizing. He said, okay, you know what? Let's get a bunch of people. So he got a bunch of people for the studies. They were given those pager devices. They would start buzzing at random times during the day, like a couple of times a day. And every time the buzz went off, the buzzer went off, the person was asked to take out a questionnaire and fill the questionnaire, which would have questions like, How are you feeling right now? What were you doing right now? et cetera, et cetera. And if people said that, okay, I'm feeling amazing or this is great, then once we understand what they were doing, we can do the correlation. And and they did that, and they found that there were in a certain subset of cases, people did report being absolutely completely present, they were, I wish this, this could just continue. They felt no resistance in the path, everything was just almost automatic. And when they looked at those cases, what, what was happening? It was never when they were on vacation or having martinis on the beach, none of that. These situations were, were when they were completely absorbed in some activity actively. They were pursuing a goal. They were doing something which made sense to them. And that is when they had this deep absorption. And then he, he inferred what were the conditions. I'm not going to go into all of them, but a couple of important ones. One is you should have a short-term goal. There should be something that you want to achieve. Want to achieve not one year later or six months later, like maybe like the next half an hour. So one way to understand this would be, let's take video games. If you have played any video game and you start the video game, what does a video game do? Any good video game will immediately give you a target, right? Blow yep. up this thing or capture this guy or hit this, get this gold coin. So you're given a target and an sh- immediate short-term target. Moment you have a target, what happens? Before that, when I'm starting the video game, my attention is sort of all over. I'm aware of the yeah. video game, but I'm aware of what's happening on my left side, right side. In my mm. mind, some other thoughts are coming. I'm also worrying about oh, this problem, that problem. What did my boss say? My, in, essentially, in my mind, it's like a fish market. But when, mm-hmm. when I have that goal, your mind says, "You know what? Focus." Now suddenly, your, all your attention is given to that one task. Next is when you take some action. In a video game, you get instant feedback. You hit the target, or you miss the target. If you missed it, you miss it on the left side or right side. So once you get that immediate feedback, now what does your mind say? Oh, you know what? I can fix it. Let, let me now do it differently. So now try it again. So this clear goal short term goal. Second is instant feedback, which tells you, did you are you on track or did you go off track in terms of hitting your goal? Third is the difficulty level has to be not too hard, not too easy. That is why video games have multiple levels. And moment you achieve a level, moment you start hitting your targets, like predictably, if let's say the game ended there, what would happen? You played for like two, three hours, then you say, no, it's, it's too boring. But then what will happen? Moment you achieve a certain proficiency level goes up. Now, again, the challenge is right up to your ability or maybe just slightly higher. Then you again get there. Again, it will go up. So essentially, the third point is the challenge has to be sort of equal to your ability. If it's too hard, you will give up. If it's too easy, you'll get bored and quit. One fourth fourth is no distraction. In case of a video game, the distractions are automatically gone because this thing is too damn exciting. But if you're sitting and reading a book, then that'll be difficult because now if your phone is buzzing and you're getting notifications, somebody's calling you, then you won't be able to. So we need to get rid of distractions. There are other conditions as well, but I'll leave it out. I'll say this is simple. So in some sense, if I had to give you a shorthand to get into the flow state, you need to have a goal. In your question, Vijay, you mentioned, sometimes people may not have a task which they love, Mm. which is fine as long as they want to achieve that goal. So let's say you get a deadline. Deadlines, by the way, are great for achieving flow. You're told, Vijay, I need a proposal from you. I need it tomorrow by 3 p.m. Can you do it? You say, yes, I'll do it. Now you have committed. And let's assume that the time from here to 3 p.m. tomorrow is just enough. It's not one-tenth of what you need, but it's also not like 10 times what you need. It's sort of enough. You can get it done, but if you push yourself yeah. hard. So in that case, even if you don't love the task, but once you commit to it, if you want to hit that goal, you will go on track. And hopefully, in fact, quite often I've seen mm-hmm. in deadlines when, when deadline is over, people feel like, oh my God, wow, this is such a relief. And I got so much done. Man, this thing takes me like two weeks, and I got this done in like two days. It, it happens very, very often. So a flow state is about meeting these conditions, whether it is work, it's a video game, it is it can be any situation, as long as those conditions are met, you will have, you are likely to have that flow state.
1: That's beautifully put. And uh, talking about the distractions, I had the chance to sit with Niryal, who has written this book called Indistractable. And he said, mm-hmm. you know what? Oftentimes we think. That it's the external distraction that's really not allowing us to do things that we want to do. But he said it's more internal, right? Mm -hmm. Where you are not comfortable with something within. And that's why you are trying to escape that, right? Mm -hmm. The reason Mm -hmm. that you are trying to escape a task, which Mm -hmm. is seemingly a little difficult is not because of the notification on your phone or, you know, some other distraction there. But it's because there is some discomfort or uh, unattended emotion that you need to sort of, you know, address first. Do you hmm. think that the, you know, internal distraction plays a bigger role? Then oftentimes, like we put it on external distractions. Oh, you know what, I got, I got that call or, oh, you hmm. know what, I got hmm. that message and then I, I got distracted.
0: I agree with what Nir Al said, but I also want to add. So, yes, I, I do agree, but I think there's more to it. Mm -hmm. So there are two things which I want to layer on top of that. One is, where does that internal distraction come from? Number one. Number two, internal distractions may be more common, may be more powerful, but do external distractions, do they matter? And the answer is to both the questions, yes and yes. There is a reason why internal distractions happen so often. So let's take two people, okay? Hypothetical. One guy who has for whatever reason, he or she was never exposed to Instagram, never had a smartphone. Dad never gave them the privilege. Yeah. And there's another person who has been on Instagram for like last two months they're very, or last two years, and they're very, very active, a lot of friends, blah, blah, blah. Again, no judgment. Just let's, let's do a head-to-head comparison. Now, if both of those people are told, you know what, sit and work on this task for 45 minutes. There's a phone next to you, but don't check it. And then the guy goes away. Now you, they are, they're on their own. Now, when they start working on the task, and the task is hard, it's designed to be tedious. It's uh, boring. It's painful. When we face something painful, our mind wants to escape that. But here's what will happen. The person who is used to checking Instagram very often, their pain threshold is very, very low. So they will switch much earlier than the other guy. In fact, a lot of people today find it, especially youngsters, again, I'm not making a judgment. There's no value judgment here. But because of our mental training, a lot of people will find it very hard to work on something for half an hour, 45 minutes without distraction. So yes, the distraction is from inside, but that's it's from inside because it has been trained that way. Okay, mm. so we cannot say that the device is not or, or the the device ecosystem is not at fault. Well, it's like I train you; I'm your trainer. I train you to behave in a certain way, and then I vanish, and they say, you know what, Bijay behaves in a certain manner. Of course, Bijay does behave in that manner because Bijay was trained to behave in that manner, and I trained you. Do I have culpability or responsibility? Of course, I do. There's no question. Second is. External distractions, while they may not be primaries, they, they are not the only culprit, they most certainly play a role. So when there is a ping on your phone, when feel like there is something novel, human mind is very, very curious. How often, Vijay, how often have you gone on WhatsApp or Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever and you see those notifications, like two notifications, five, yeah. five notifications, and you come away without clicking? How often does mm-hmm. it happen? Of course, someday if Very, saying, oh, today yeah. I'm going to not do it. Maybe then that yeah. day, but <laughs> normally when you yeah. see something, because we are curious, yeah. it's not a binary either or both play a role. But I think where I, the nuance that I want to add to the discussion to this point is that the desire to escape the discomfort, it's mm-hmm. always there. Everybody has it, but then the thresholds vary and our devices have lowered that threshold so much that at the slightest discomfort. We want to jump
1: and run away, whereas thirty years mm-hmm. back that would not have happened. Makes sense. So Razan, when I had a couple of interactions with you, few things I noticed. Number one, you don't use WhatsApp. Number two, <laughs> you turn your phone off and go on these deep, you know, focus work kind of sessions. What are some of your favorite productivity? tools or techniques that you yourself implement and that you recommend to people.
0: So, Vijay, I'm experimenting with a couple of things. In fact, we are about to, we are soon launching a program on productivity, productivity for the digital age and productivity where you get a lot done, not by pushing yourself to death, by doing it in a calm, composed manner where you actually experience flow, hopefully. I have spent a lot of time recently working on these ideas and a uh, couple of things that i am doing which i find very effective one is this simple idea which a lot of people have heard of is think of focus as a sprint not like as a day long marathon so if you go show up at work and say mm-hmm. okay today i'll be focused the whole day 9 to 5 mm-hmm. sorry that's not going to happen but if you say i'll be mm-hmm. focused from 9 to 9:30 then you have a much better shot at uh, at achieving that second is that going back to our, our mind 90% of the problems if not 100%, are in our mind. So when we are trying to focus, what is the problem? The problem is our mind is also simultaneously seized of A, B, C, D, E. This problem, but also what about that? What about this? So there is a sort of chaos in our mind. There are too many things that are right now in that semi-active state. And to be able to focus, you have to be able to drop everything else. I have five priorities, but when I pick up one, a, B, C, D, E, I picked up A, B, C, D, and E have to die for at least next half an hour, one hour, whatever time. If they're all alive simultaneously, it's like you know, five babies screaming for milk. You don't know whom to give the milk to. But if four are saying, okay, they're quiet for next one hour, then you can feed that baby. So we have to feed just one baby. We have to feed just one task. And that, the sprint allows you to do that. And there are simple things you can do, like in your mind, if there are many things, write them down. And just let go and focus on this one task that you have picked up. The other thing which I've, I've found very useful is, again, productivity is a very vast topic. We can't get into all the discussions. But I think the one goal of productivity, at least the way I look at it is, it is not about doing the most number of to-do's in a day. That's not the idea of productivity. The idea of productivity has to be achieving, getting to maximum value in a day Without killing yourself, without feeling frustrated, so being calm, being composed, being in control, and yet delivering the greatest possible value, which might come from only two important tasks. So, which means you need to have mm-hmm. priority. And then, th- this is the key, when you work on one thing, you have to drop mm-hmm. everything else. And there are some systems, I don't have time today to go into that, but, but that's, yeah. what we, that's what we want to, to help people achieve, which is one thing at a time. So, no multitasking. Hmm. Absolutely no multitasking. A human mind cannot multitask. What we do is we are switching between between multiple tasks at a very rapid pace. Thinking about A, thinking about B, thinking about A, B, A, B, A, B. We are not doing A plus B. We are doing A, then B, then A, then B. That is what is multitasking. There are exceptions. The one exception is, um, it's worth mentioning. If there is a habitual action that can happen in the background. So let's say you want to listen to this podcast. You can, if you're a good driver, Your driving is sort of automatic. So your driving is not an active process. So you can listen to this podcast while driving or while doing some activity. But if somebody is learning driving today for the first time, and they're also trying to listen to this podcast, not going to happen. Either they will make a mistake on the driving or they won't be able to pay attention to to this podcast. So a habitual action can run in the background. In the foreground, you Mm -hmm. can have a cognitively demanding action.
1: Other than that, you cannot do multitasking. Great. So, Rajan, I have two more questions, and these two questions come from listeners. And uh, this is around digital detox, because that's the thing that you talk a lot about. So, these questions come from Janvi Khurana. She says, how does one realize that they need a digital detox? Hmm. Wonderful question.
0: Today's generation, like if you are, say, 20, 21 years old, you have probably seen the smartphone for such a long period of your life that you may not even realize what it is like to to not have a smartphone or to not have those distractions. Well, detox is sort of, it's it's an easy word to understand, but I would say it's less about detox. It's more about being in control. So if your attention is controlled by your devices, then there is a problem. And the way you would know it is, if you are, while working on something, if your attention is switching quite often, if you're working on a task, but your your attention goes from task A to some other task or some other thought in your mind or could be anything else. If the attention switching is happening, realize it or not, you are being way less productive than you're capable of. So if you are doing a lot of task, context switching as they call it, then you need digital detox. And one good way to figure this out is just do an experiment. One day switch off your phone for six hours. Trust me, nothing will happen. You'll stay alive, everything will be okay. And pick one or two things that you want to work on. Again, need not be work, could be like reading, could be doing even fun stuff. And see Mm -hmm. for yourself what it feels like. Now, I'm not suggesting Mm -hmm. that that is the answer. The idea is not to switch off your phone. The idea is to be able to manage your attention effectively. The fact about digital life today is that none of us, myself included, you included, we cannot live without our devices. They have immense value. If you're traveling to book a cab, if you want to buy something online, for all those things, there is value. I'm not denying it. The problem is the value comes with a cost. And is the cost greater than the value? And if not, then how do you bring down the cost? So it is not digital detox or digital, let's call it, building focus is not about giving up your devices. It is about training your mind so that you can navigate the world with your devices, but you're not driven by your devices, you're driven by your internal sense of control. So
1: that's what we should think of detox as. There's another interesting question around this from Radhika Madhiraju. She asks, if your work is primarily digital, then how is detox possible? Yeah, that's it's a, it's a lovely question.
0: The idea of detox, like I said in previous question also, I explained the idea of detox is not to give up the phone. Look, you know what? If digital detox meant switch off your phone, that would be so easy. Why? Switch off your phone, you're done. But the fact is, We need our devices. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast, there is a very high probability you're doing it on some device, maybe on, on your handheld or smartphone device. So it is not that we have to give them up. But when you are deciding where should my attention go next, ask yourself the question, where should my attention go next? Is that decision made by you? Do you say, okay, my attention should next go to X or is it driven by these automated processes now or automated habits built in your mind or by some external interruptions? If it is the latter, then there is a problem. As long as you are able to control your attention, you are doing fine with your devices. Unfortunately, our devices have been rigged to grab your attention because that is how the attention economy works. So you are fighting against not a losing battle, but you're fighting a battle against some really, really gigantic group of people and This is not a war where you sort of disengage with them, but this is a battle where you say, you know what, I am in control. Next one hour I'm doing this and I'm I will be able to handle my attention. Not maybe not perfectly, but to a great degree. And maybe in the evening for half an hour, if I want to watch Instagram, I do that. And that's fine too. So this is Mm -hmm. not about in fact, precisely because we have to use our devices for work, it is important that we have a sense of control. Otherwise, what will happen, Bijay? I hear this from this very, very often people might say, oh, I work in marketing, I work in social media, I work in this, I need to check my WhatsApp, I need to check this. But my question to them is, okay, do you always check WhatsApp because you have some work? And most often they'll say, you know, no, that has become a habit. It started off as work, but now it's a reflex action. Now you're doing it, not, the original reason has become sort of irrelevant. Now you keep doing it again and again because it's a habit. So do you, do you need detox? Well, you need to have control over your attention, which means, like I said, detox is not a phrase I love, but that's a phrase people understand. So, yes, you can say you need detox. Not uh, giving up on your on your devices.
1: Thank you so much, Rajan. This has been such a great conversation. I think there's so much learning. There's so much, you know, insights about building habit, about productivity. We discussed about detox as well, which is about attention control, as you said. Thank you so much for taking this time out. This has been a great, great conversation.
0: Thank you, Vijay. Thank you. I love talking to you. And uh, I think you had some great questions and uh, great questions from your uh, viewers as well. So thanks very much and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thank you.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed listening to this, I want you to do two things for me. Number one, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe to the podcast and give five-star ratings. This will help me attract more listeners to this podcast and take this information to a wider audience so that we can help more people grow in their life. And second, share this episode with at least three people in your network who you think need to hear this episode. You never know, just by sharing this episode, you can help them transform their life. Be that person who helps others grow In their life. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.